0: Thanks, Lisa. Uh, so good. It's exciting times here at Westgate, and we're so glad you are a part of it. Um, I want to begin today as we, as we dive into the Word by uh, showing you a photograph of a man named Alexander Gam. Some of you may know him. Most of you probably don't know Alexander Gam. Alexander Gam is a Norwegian adventurer and mountain climber, sort of like an extreme sport legend. In 2007, Gam climbed Mount Everest. Uh, gives you a, a sense for the quality and the skill level of this man. In 2010, he hopped on a bike and he biked across the Sahara Desert um, just for kicks. You know, that's what you do when you're a man like Gam. And then in 2011, Alexander Gam completed the very first ever in history, the very first solo hike across Antarctica. So he went from one end of Antarctica, which is a continent, right, which encompasses literally the entire bottom of our planet. He hiked from one end of Antarctica to the other end and then all the way back. He's the first person to ever do that alone. Now, what's really interesting is this hike took GAM 87 days. So it took him almost three months of his life. And because it was such a long trek and because it was so strenuous, he wanted to lighten his load. So he began with a lot of food, a lot of supplies. But remember, it's Antarctica, it's it's freezing cold. So it's like the whole continent is a refrigerator, which actually can be to your benefit. So instead of carrying all of his supplies on the front leg of his journey, he would go and he would dig into the snow and pack food and snacks into the snow, and then he would just put up these flags so that he can lighten his load on one trip, and then on his trip back, he would have food in like a natural refrigerator as he he went. Now, um, he, he sort of documented the entire thing on his phone, and Alexander Gam's actually really famous. You may recognize the video I'm about to show you. He's really famous because On day 86, literally one day before he arrives at the very end of his journey, he gets to his last flag with his last set of snacks that he has packed away. Now remember, he packed these snacks away almost three months earlier. He did not remember what was in the snow. He just knew there was something for him to eat in the snow. And so I wanna show you about a one-minute clip of Alexander Gam filming himself when he discovers the snacks he has packed away in the snow on day 86 of his trip. Yeah! 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 every head go hallelujah. hallelujah 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 okay so the three things he found a bag of cheese doodles a little pack of stale biscuits and then a, a bag of candy like fruit candy What he found is probably worth less than 10 US dollars. And yet, Gam reacts like he's just won the super lottery. You can hear him at the very end. He's just laying in the snow. He doesn't even eat the snacks. He's so happy, right? He's laying in the snow and he's singing to himself. Gam is not a religious man, by the way. He's singing to himself, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Okay, let me ask you a question. When is the last time you reacted that way to anything you ate? When's the last time? I'm looking at my dear friend, David Kim, who's on our staff, he's a big foodie, Korean barbecue connoisseur. I've been to Korean barbecue with him many times. He gets very excited, but not like that, right? It'd be a little weird if we went to Gen Korean barbecue. He's just like, "Ah!" right? Like, Like the customers would be like, whoa, dude, relax. We don't react that way. Of course we don't. Of course we don't. Because we don't go 87 days hiking through the frozen tundra of Antarctica, eating almost nothing. It's not our lives, most of us. That's not our life. And so one of the, one of I mean, that's really beautiful that our lives are not that desperate. For most of us, I'll talk more about this in a minute, not for all of us in our city, but for most of us, we don't worry about where our next meal is going to come from. But one of the things that we lose because of that is this, this sort of sheer, unadulterated gratitude and joy. I mean, this is like $10 worth of snacks, you guys. I can go to 7-Eleven and buy you better snacks than that, and I would hand it to you in a bag, and you would look at me right now and say, no no thanks, (laughs) Why, why why are you giving me those Doritos? I don't, you know? But for Gam, this is like, Life changing, life altering. Um, last week, we started a brand new series called Teach Us to Pray. And we are going sort of idea by idea through this incredible prayer that Jesus teaches us to pray called the Lord's Prayer. That's what most of us call it. And today we land on a simple yet profound line Matthew 6 Give us today our daily bread. Give us today our daily bread. Now, on the surface, this prayer seems simple enough, right? It's a petition for God to provide for our needs. There's much more depth here than initially meets the eye. First of all, the word daily uh, sounds obvious to us in the English, but in the original language of the text, Koine Greek, the word that we translate into the English word daily, it's actually a debatable word. So different scholars sort of debate the, the intended Uh, translation or meaning of the word. Some scholars say the best way to translate it is needed, not just daily every day, but needed. So it could be like, give us today our needed bread. It could actually mean daily, like the current day, give us today bread for our current day. The word could actually also mean give us um, uh, bread for tomorrow or the days to come or the coming day. So this word that we translate into the English word daily has a bit of range, but Whatever however you define that word what is true about the word is that the word defines a very particular immediate near period of time there's an immediacy to the meaning of this word what that means is that whatever however you define that word daily whether it's you know the needed bread or the current day or tomorrow or the coming day what is clear is that this bread this prayer is not give us today our annual bread or give us today our long-term bread or give us today our retirement bread. That is clearly not the prayer. That word daily makes it really, really clear. And it is the central word in this part of the prayer. Don't give us our annual bread, our long-term bread, our retirement bread. God, give us today our daily bread, my needed bread, the, the bread I need today or tomorrow or the coming day. Why is that important? It's not because saving up for retirement is sinful. In fact, it's actually quite good. It's a way to steward what God has give, given you. It's a way to care for those that God has entrusted into your care. So please do not hear me saying, don't save. Give everything away today and live every day that way. That's not what I'm saying. Now, if God is calling you to live that way, if there is a very clear moving of God's spirit, like I am asking you specifically to give it all up and to live literally day by day, then that's something you have to pay attention to in prayer and in conversation with the Lord and with the community that you trust. But what this prayer is not telling us is you have to do that. It's about so much more than that. It's actually about learning to pray, like give us today our daily bread as a way of praying, God, teach us to daily, consistently rely on you. Most of us, when we learn the Lord's Prayer, and we learn this line of the prayer, we think that it's a simple line intended to teach us that you can ask God for the stuff you want. And yes, that is true, but it is totally incomplete. Because the prayer is not, God, give me my bread. The prayer is, God, give us today our daily bread. In other words, God, teach us to daily rely on you. The way the prayer is phrased, it is a prayer intended to be prayed when? Every day of your life. You have to pray that prayer every day. Because if you simply pray, God, give us today our daily bread once, when you get to tomorrow, you need more daily bread. And the whole goal here then is not necessarily primarily to get the stuff we want. In fact, it's really about drawing close to the God who longs to give to us in ways that can't even imagine. Remember last week, we talked about the fact that this prayer is a prayer we pray not to a genie in a bottle or an angry judge or a bodyguard that's sort of detached, intended to simply keep us safe, but this is a prayer we pray to a father who loves us. We'll talk more about this in a moment, but a good father longs to give you what you need, but he longs for more than that. Good father longs for relationship. Now, again, relying daily on God is actually a challenge for most of us because for most of us, our daily lives are sort of empty. They're void of the desperate need for basic necessities. Like like most of us don't have the experience of Alexander Gam hiking for three months across Antarctica, coming upon some cheese doodles, and it's just like the most glorious experience because you're starving, right? Most of us don't have that sort of experience in our lives. But the last few weeks, many of you participated with us in the um, uh, the building of hygiene kits, right? And you'll hear more about this in the coming weeks, But and uh, you'll hear a word from our city, actually, who who's um, so grateful for our partnership. We're grateful for our partnership with them. You all put together more than 350 hygiene kits last week. Yeah, that's amazing. And really, it's not that the hygiene kits are going to, like, change lives. The hygiene kits um, give our city workers an opportunity to begin conversations and dialogues with many people in our city who actually live with the desperation for basic needs that most of us don't it was really interesting as Jenny and I took our kids to Target to buy stuff for the hygiene kits. And then we were like, wow, it's expensive here. And then we went to the Dollar Tree, right? On both of those trips, um, no shade at Target, by the way, if you work at Target, I love Target. I'm there all the time. Um, but uh, on both of those trips, our kids who are seven and four, you know, because they generally, they don't worry about where they're going to sleep or where they're going to eat. You know what I mean? They don't worry about those things. So we're trying to explain to them why we're doing what we're doing. And for them, it's difficult to conceptualize. You're telling me there are, there are real people in our city who like, they don't know where they they have to sleep outside tonight, Dad? Like, they don't have food to eat tomorrow? And you know, like the sweetness of kids, right? She was just, my daughter is just like, well, let's just go give them a house. <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah. Do you have $2.2 million, honey? <laughs> but it was so sweet, right? <clears throat> and it was this incredible reminder for me that yeah, you know what, I don't live with, I don't, I don't live with like those types of questions, but I was reminded that everything, whatever is good in my life, it is truly a gift from God. Like yes, I can connect enough dots and just kind of justify this idea or belief, that my life is as comfortable as it is because I've worked hard or because I've, you know, whatever, done X, Y, and Z, made these decisions, these choices. And there is some truth to that. But as, as I was putting these hygiene kits together with my kids, I just realized like even these children, right? Some of you know my story. Jenny and I wrestled with infertility for many years. And I just, I was looking at my kids and I was like, even this is a miracle, It didn't matter what I tried to do. It was like a miracle that was beyond my control. These two little lives are a part of my life. And you connect dots that way and you begin to realize like literally the fact that you're sitting here alive is a gift. The very breath you breathe is a gift. You can't manufacture enough oxygen to fill your lungs, to keep you alive. There is nothing you are literally consciously doing to keep your heart beating the 100,000 times your heart will beat today, the 2.5 billion times your heart will beat over the average lifespan. There is not a single thing you can do to keep that thing beating. It is a gift. Life is a gift. Job 33, the spirit of God has made me. The breath of the Almighty gives me life. Isaiah 42, this is what God, the Lord says, the creator of the heavens who stretches them out, who spreads out the earth with all that springs from it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk on it. Acts 17, in him, We live and move and have our being. When we take time to deeply ponder God's gift of life, gratitude is inevitable. But the reality is we often pray, give us today our daily bread, not with gratitude, let's be honest, but with grumbling, frustrated by our perceived sense of lack, right? I will just admit this to you. Most of the time when I pray this part of the prayer, God, this is what I need, please provide. You're good, I believe you're good, please provide. More often than not, there is a tinge of grumbling in that prayer. It's not just a pure prayer of gratitude. God, whether you provide this or not, the very fact that I can pray, the very fact that I have a relationship with you, the very fact that I'm alive and breathing is a gift and that is enough. That's not the way I pray usually there's a little grumbling. This has been true since the very beginning. In fact, that phrase, daily bread, that Jesus uses in the prayer he teaches us to pray, that would have been a very familiar phrase for Jesus's original audience, his Jewish audience. Remember, one of the primary stories in the Jewish story is the story of the Exodus. Many of you know this story, or you watch the the Prince of Egypt movie from DreamWorks back in the 90s. It's that story, When God rescues his people out of slavery in Egypt through this man named Moses, and he leads them across the wilderness. And here's what happens in the wilderness. Just a few, uh, you know, a few short treks into their journey. Remember, God has already rescued the Israelites out of 400 years of slavery and tyranny in Egypt. And then when the Egyptian army comes chasing after them to hunt them down, you remember what God does? He miraculously opens up the sea so that the Israelites can cross on dry land, and then the Egyptians, the enemy, are drowned in the waters. God keeps them safe. He provides for them. He protects them over and over again. And yet, after all of that, Exodus 14... They, the Israelite people, this is while they're journeying in the wilderness, they said to Moses, their leader, hey, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? First of all, they did not say that. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. The Israelites forget God's past faithfulness because of the uncertainty and difficulty of present circumstances. Does this sound familiar? The people of God forget God's past faithfulness because the present circumstances are a little bit hard. This happens to me all the time. And when it does, my gratitude turns to grumbling. What should be gratitude, God, you've been faithful, You will always be faithful, and I'm grateful. That turns to, yeah, I know you've been faithful, but right now is so hard, and it's uncertain and unknown, and I don't know the way forward, and you don't seem to be giving me answers. Come on. It would have been better back there. Why would you pull me out into the wilderness? You could have just left me to die in the tyranny and slavery of Egypt. Gratitude turns to grumbling. So when we pray, God, give us today our daily bread, we have to remember, again, that we are praying to God, our Father, who has given us our daily bread before. And whatever your present circumstances look like, there really is no good reason to believe that for some arbitrary reason, God, our Father who loves us, will some way, somehow forget to give us our daily bread today. Jesus says in Luke 11, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? This is Jesus kind of being funny, you guys. Just like, read these words. Or, I love this line, or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion. Like, I don't know why he made that connection, but it's so awesome. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father, not the genie in the bottle or your bodyguard or uh, a judge, but your father in heaven, give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Or James 1 reminds us, every good and perfect gift, every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. And in fact, way back in the Exodus story, this proves to be true. Even even in spite of the people's grumbling, God still provides. You guys, some of you know this story, Exodus 16. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day, and this is the key line, Gather enough for that day. Not enough for the month, not enough for the year. Gather enough for that day. And in this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. The word follow is the Hebrew word yalak. It actually means to literally walk toward. And my instructions is actually the Hebrew word torah. Some of you who are Bible nerds, you know that word. It's the word we use to describe the first five books of the Bible, the law of Moses. And remember, these books were central to God's people. So this whole concept where God says, I am going to, you are to gather enough for the single day so that the very next day you have to come out and gather and trust me again to provide, and then he says, I'm gonna do this to see if they will essentially walk toward the Torah. And in rabbinic tradition, that type of phraseology, walking toward the law of God or walking toward the Torah, it was a very, to this very day in Orthodox Judaism, it's a very common way of talking about living a life that is totally aligned to God. It's essentially a way of saying, I'm gonna give you bread every day. That's what the Lord is saying. Go out and gather just enough for every day because I wanna see if you are going to live your life in total alignment with me. I wanna see if you're gonna live your life in such a way that I am the source of all that you need. Will you trust me to be the primary source and the giver of good things? This is why Jesus, when he teaches us to pray the prayer, he teaches us to pray, teaches us to pray, give us today our daily bread. He's hearkening back to the Exodus story. He's reminding his original audience and he is reminding us, this has been going on for thousands of years. God's people have always gone from gratitude to grumbling. And God's desire is not just to satisfy your physical hunger or your temporary needs. God's ultimate desire is to make you whole. To make you whole requires drawing near to the God who can actually make you whole. God gives enough for the day so that tomorrow we have to draw near to him again for provision. The day after that, the day after that, and the day after that. This is God's primary desire, to draw near to us and to have us draw near to him. James 4, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Not draw near to God and he might draw near to you, or he'll draw near to you if he likes you. No, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. It is the thing he wants most for you and with you. It's a relationship. So a few thoughts. If reliance on ourselves to draw near to comfort is our desire, then our sense of lack is a curse. Think about that for a moment. If you are relying on yourself to make your life comfortable, then any moment you feel lack in your life, that lack feels like a curse, does it not? It just feels like an albatross choking the life right out of you, and all you can do is push yourself to provide for yourself. But if reliance on God to draw near to God, not comfort, but reliance on God to draw near to God. If that is your desire, then your sense of lack is a gift it pushes you and compels you to draw near to the God who longs to draw near to you, knowing that he is the giver of all good gifts. And the gifts may not be given to you in the form or fashion or with the timing that you desire. And that's when you have to ask the question, is he really God? Because if he is, he knows better than you. He knows better than you about the timing. He knows better than you about your actual need. He knows better than you whether this is a real need or simply a want. So can you trust him to provide for you in the way, not necessarily that you want all the time, but in the way that you need? Here's another thought. When we rely on ourselves to draw near to comfort, Even when we feel like we have much, in truth, we actually have little. Like many of your lives are comfortable on the surface, right? You have a comfortable life. But many of us who've experienced comfortable lives, we can relate to this. We also know that um, comfort doesn't necessarily lead to fulfillment. Many of us have comfortable lives, and yet there's this gnawing, nagging thing deep inside of us. It's like, I still feel like I'm lacking something. You know what I'm saying? But when we rely on God to draw near to God, even when we feel like we have little, we actually have much. I love the way C.S. Lewis puts it in Mere Christianity. He says this. Look for yourself and you will find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. But look for Christ and you will find him and with him, everything else thrown in. If your goal is to draw near to comfort, you will never be satisfied. If your goal, your desire is to draw near to God, even in lack, you will find yourself with everything. Um, Years ago, when I was a youth pastor, every summer we used to take our students to uh, Lake Shasta and we would rent these houseboats. And we would take kids out wakeboarding and tubing all week and it was so fun, um, but also a little dangerous. (laughs) And uh, this one year, uh, I was, you know, every year I would, lead the trip with all of my leaders, and then most of the week during the day, I was spending time like driving a ski boat, pulling kids on wakeboards and tubes. And uh, one day, I'm, I'm out on the water with a bunch of students in the boat, and I've got two kids in the back. We had two tubes, these giant tubes, and um, they were both sophomore boys, so they were really aggressive and thought, you know, they could never get hurt. So they're like, gun it, push it, you know? And they're just like, they're wanting me to whip them around. And so they're going nuts and like banging into each other, trying to jump on each other's tubes. One of the boys, his name was Justin. And Justin had been a part of our youth group for several years at that point, um, but wasn't really deeply following Jesus yet, right? He's just kind of on the fringe. And we were praying for him a lot. And I love this kid. He's like a wonderful kid, um, but just kind of right on the edge, like, Right, like so close to making that decision. So I'm pulling Justin and another boy on uh, these tubes behind me and I whip them around and Justin tries to jump from his tube to the other boy's tube, but he misses the tube and slams into the water. Now at those speeds, when you hit the water, it's not like a gentle plunge into the hot tub, right? It can be quite painful. And the way he fell into the water he sort of smacked the side of his head, like right on the water. So he pops up, we pull the flag up, he pops up, I turn around to go get him, and I can tell, like 10, 15 yards away, I can tell something is wrong, right? He's got a life jacket on, he's floating, and he looks like he got knocked out or something. So I had another leader with me, we pull him into the boat, and we're like, you okay? And he's got all this neck pain, and he can't hear in one of his ears. And so um, what could I do? So I'm like, okay, I'm going to take him to the ER, which we're on Lake Shasta. So I don't know if you know, but like there's no ER on the lake. We had to like go into dock. I had to get into the car, pull him in. And it's already late at this point. It's about dinner time. We hadn't eaten since lunch. I drive him to the ER in Shasta, and we wait in the ER for five hours. Right, it was a small hospital and there were lots of people there. We wait for five hours. It's like 11 PM. And we finally get in, the doctor sees him. Now, again, I'm staying on a houseboat on the lake. So it's not like you can't drive a house, you can't drive a ski boat in in pitch black, right? It's it's not allowed. So I'm like, okay, so I gotta figure something out. So I'm like looking for, you know, a hotel where I can get him a room and I'll like sleep in the car or something. And we're starving, we have not eaten since noon. And it's like almost midnight by this point. Doctor gives him some, some medication and does some stuff. And he's like, okay, he just needs to sleep. So I'm, I'm trying to get him to a, a hotel, but then he looks at me, he's like, dude, I'm starving. I'm like, I'm starving too. So we see a Denny's. And we walk into the Denny's and you guys, like we hadn't eaten in 12 hours. So I order like everything. I was like, the whole menu, give us the whole menu. Just everything you make, give give it all to us. So they start bringing out food like onion rings and French fries and a Grand Slam for him and a Grand Slam for me and a stack of pancakes to share and let's get a milkshake, who cares, why not? We're just going to town and I am so hungry and I'm about to, like, I'm a bad Christian. So without praying, I'm just about to eat and Justin looks at me, this marginal Christian kid, And he says, hey, Jay, should we pray? And I'm like, yes, we should pray. (laughs) And so I'm like, Justin, dude, bro, why don't you pray? You know, I'm thinking this is gonna be a cool moment. And he starts praying, and I am not kidding you guys. He starts praying, Lord, thank you for these pancakes, for the butter and the syrup. Thank you that it's a large stack of pancakes and not a small stack. Lord, thank you for this bacon, every single strip, all four strips of bacon, thank you. Thank you for these hash browns, that they're extra crispy the way I ask. Sometimes at Denny's they don't make it extra crispy when you ask, but this time they're extra crispy. God, thank you so much. And at this point, you guys, again, bad Christian, I'm like, please stop, let's just eat. I'm so hungry. And he keeps going. He he prays for every single thing on the table. He prays for our waiter. He prays for the Denny's itself. He prays for the emergency room. He prays for the nurses. I'm not kidding, we're like five minutes into a prayer. And then I'm I'm like, what do I do? This kid might be coming to the Lord right now, but all I wanna do is eat (laughs) these hash browns. And then I look at him and he's crying. He's crying and he's not stopping. And then his prayer just turns into, God, thank you for for this week at Lake Shasta. And then he says at one point, he says, God, thank you for being real. And then he starts praying for his small group leader and his friends in his small group during that week on Lake Shasta. And I'm realizing this kid in his hunger and desperation, just drew near to God. And more importantly, in this kid's hunger and desperation, God just drew near to him. Justin gave his life to Jesus that week on Shasta because I fed him a lot at Denny's. Mark and the team are gonna come and we're gonna sing and respond in a moment. But I, 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 want, I share that story with you because um, it's a crazy story. I haven't thought about it in a long time, but mostly because when you really think about it, every meal you have deserves that sort of gratitude. Every breath you take deserves that sort of gratitude. You know, the the, the word for spirit, some of you know this, the word for spirit in the New Testament and the Old, ruach in Hebrew and pneuma in Greek. That word means breath. You know that, right? You know why? It's a reminder that literally for the Christian, every breath you take is the spirit of God breathing life into you. It's a reminder of the story that at the beginning of the human story, God took dirt and dust, and breathed his spirit in and created an animated, energized life called the human. And that act of life-giving love has not changed. You participate in that act in the very next breath you breathe. When I think about this prayer, God give us today our daily bread, I can't help but think about the fact that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. You know what the word Bethlehem means? It's a town, Jesus is born there. But the word itself means, it's two words, Lehem. Bet means house and lehem means bread. Jesus is born in the house of bread. And then at the end of his life, his earthly life, he says this, he shares a meal with his best friends, his disciples. And he says, Matthew 26, we'll get to this in four years during our Matthew (laughs) series. While they were eating, Jesus took lehem, bread. And when he had given thanks, Jesus broke the bread. He gave it to his disciples and he said to them, take and eat, this is my body whatever your need, whatever your want, whatever your deepest desire, whatever anxiety or uncertainty you face, whatever that unanswered prayer, whatever that emptiness or that loneliness or the isolation you feel, I want you to know that when you pray, God, give us today our daily bread, you are praying to a father who loves you and has given you the very thing you need to simply be alive. He has given you his spirit, his breath inside of you. And when we pray that prayer, we may we remember that we already have received the bread of life. That no matter how this story ends, in this life, on this side of eternity, with all of the peaks and the valleys, the good and the bad, the ultimate bread of life has already been given to you. We pray every day for daily bread. And Jesus says, yes, God, our heavenly father will give you what you need today. But do not forget, I am the bread of life and I have been broken and given to you already. That whether your life ends today or tomorrow or decades from now, if you have said yes to Jesus, then the only bread you need for life and life to the full now and on into eternity has already been given to you. And so as the team leads us in these next couple of songs, if you are a follower of Jesus, wherever you're from, whatever your story, if you are a follower of Jesus, we have communion stations, two in the front, and two in the back corners. I just wanna invite you in the next few moments to come when you're ready to take the bread and the cup and you can take it back to your seat and take it on your own during these next couple of songs, to remember that the bread of life has already been given to us, that this prayer, give us today our daily bread, has in many ways been answered on an eternal scale. As we take communion, we're gonna receive communion. Uh, You're gonna receive it from um, our elders and our staff. We're gonna serve it to you We're going to remind you as we serve you communion. This is the body and blood of Christ given for you. And we're serving it to you not because you need some mediator between you and God. You don't. The Spirit of God is in you already if you're a follower of Jesus. We want to serve it to you simply as an embodied reminder that communion is communal. It has been given to you, but really it has been given to us, the family of God. So whenever you're ready, I wanna invite you in these next few moments, during these next few songs to come as we serve communion to you. We'll sing and take the bread and the cup when you're ready. Let's all stand.